All right, good morning again and welcome. If you haven't already, as you're finding your seat, grab your growth guide. And if you also haven't already, go ahead and check in. If you're here, you can use the card that is in your growth guide, or you can, wherever you are, here or elsewhere, use the app. Just search for Church Center in your app store, or you can even text here to our church number, 603-225-2550. So we're going to do things a little bit differently today in that we are going to start with the scripture. So since John and Mason are here, John is going to come on up and he and I are going to read the scriptures together. You can go ahead and grab that mic and everybody say hi, John. John, John. say hello, everybody. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? And uh, we, because it is Christmas Eve and we're going to look at the Christmas story, we're going to go a deep dive, deep background on a particular aspect of the story. So we're going to start way back in the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. And John's going to read half of it, beginning at verse 1. And I'm going to read the second half, beginning at verse 11. So uh, if you want to follow along, it's Isaiah chapter 7, and we're reading from the New Living Translation. So we're skipping verse 10? No, don't skip anything. Okay. All right. Sweet. (laughs) All right. Actually, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'm going to read. All right. Uh, Isaiah 7. Starting in verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, take your son, Shir Jeshub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers. King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ermalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabil as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel... Within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria. And Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Amalia. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. I'll take it from there. That's the confusion. Sorry. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the first half. And I'm going to read the second half, which is actually verse 10. That's why we were uh, uh, working back and forth a little bit there. But he read through verse 9. I'm going to read beginning at verse 10. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as the heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. 
But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. Then the Lord will bring on you, your nation and your family, unlike anything since Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria upon you. Now, for most of you, that would be a relatively familiar passage, uh, and in particular because of this verse right here, which is quoted in the New Testament. But some of that other context might not have been as familiar to to you. So we're going to pick up the story, John, in uh, Luke chapter 1. So this will be your read, John. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. 38, 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, the Gospel of Luke tells the story from Mary's perspective. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear that story from the perspective of Joseph. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Then, lastly, a passage that is not at all considered a Christmas passage, but it's something that you might be familiar with. And John, I'll let you read these. It's just the last three verses of the book of Philippians. We've been studying the book of Philippians, and we read this last week, but we didn't really talk about it. But I, I want to point out something to it, So something about it. So listen, and then we'll talk about it a little bit later. Philippians chapter 4, starting on verse 21. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, John. And let's go ahead, and now that we have the whole context, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we look at it today, that you will give all of us a greater and greater appreciation for your word. It's uh, human aspects and it's divine aspects and that we will see in it a signpost that points us to Jesus, who also is fully human and fully divine. And Lord, as we look at this together, give us insight, apply it to our hearts, apply it to our lives, and may we all leave here understanding you a little bit more, closer to you, loving you a little bit more, and ready to take your light, the light that came into the world, that first Christmas so long ago, into our world that needs it so desperately. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Now, the reason that I wanted to do this is that uh, that passage from Isaiah that talks about the virgin conceiving and that the child would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, is that it's such a familiar passage, but the context, that greater context of the Isaiah passage is not as unfamiliar, it's not as familiar. So what this question, what this passage really answers is this question. When safety and security are uncertain, where can I turn for help? Because that is the context of that Isaiah passage is a time of great uncertainty, a time of concern about the, uh, about the security and safety of the people that Isaiah was prophesying to. So I'm going to illustrate this to you in a way that you probably won't soon forget. I've asked a couple of um, helpers to come up. So you, you four that I've talked to earlier, Brandon... Jonathan, Mason, Kevin, come on up. Everybody say hi, guys. Hi, Hi, lady. (laughs) All right, and you guys can just line up right here, and I'll put you in order in just a second. What I'm going to do with these guys is I'm going to illustrate the situation 
in the Holy Land at this time where Isaiah was prophesying. So uh, Mason, come on up here. You're going to be the, the kingdom of Judah. All right. So uh, in that passage, it talked about the splitting of the kingdom. When the kingdom started out, it was a unified kingdom of the people. And then it, there was Saul and then David and then Solomon. And then the kingdom split. And there were two kingdoms. There was a southern kingdom, Judah. And there was a northern kingdom, John, and that was the kingdom of Israel. So we're going to line you up geographically, okay? So if you would, picture the land of Israel. You've been seeing a lot on the news lately. And so, Mason, you come right here and stand right here, and then you're right here. This is the land of Israel. So uh, let's say she's standing on the capital of Jerusalem. The Dead Sea is over here. The Mediterranean Sea is here. Gaza is down here. And then in the northern part where the Sea of Galilee is and where Samaria, their capital is, is where Jonathan is. And that is the land, the kingdom of Israel. So you've got Judah and Israel. Now, oh, I forgot. I need. I actually need two. I, I, two more kingdoms. Any, any other? Any other volunteers? Caleb, come on up. <laughs> he looked like a willing participant, sorta. <laughs> okay. All right. And then you've got these. No, I'm sorry. Forget it. I'm confused. <laughs> you're off the hook. I knew that there were. T- uh, these two are in alliance. That's what I was concerned about. Okay. So here we have Damascus and the kingdom of Aram. And those were all those names that John did such an excellent job on pronouncing their kings. Now, it, now he, Kevin here is, a, is Damascus. So he's a little bit further off to the side here. But he's in the modern day kingdom of Syria. It would have been Aram at that time. Now, what's happening is at this time, there is a new world power that is arising on the horizon. The big, bad, powerful kingdom of Brandon, (laughs) otherwise known as Assyria. Now, Assyria, you're kind of right in the right spot, so you can stand right about there. Now, the problem is that this kingdom is growing and expanding, and these two guys, they can, they're doing okay, but they can't stand up against this new world power that is arising. So they're pretty concerned about being uh, invaded. And that's pretty much what happens to the land of Israel. You've got kingdoms up in the north, and you've got Egypt and kingdoms in the south, and they're constantly fighting. And as the world powers come back and forth, they fight over the land. It's a crossroads for war. So these guys, Israel and Aram, are very concerned because they've got Brandon looking over their shoulder. And so they've allied, and they really want Judah to ally with them as well. But Judah's a little concerned about this, and she's not sure that she wants to do that. They, however, are so worried about this that they don't care if she wants to be a part of the alliance or not. They'll give her the option, but if she doesn't say yes, then they are going to team up and attack her 
in order to force her to join forces with them (laughs) in order to stand up. They're going to need all the help they can get to stand up against Brandon slash Assyria. So that is the situation. Now, Isaiah is in the southern kingdom, and he is talking to the king there, Ahaz. And what he wants him to do, what he wants them to do is trust God. Because the most, uh, you know, they're, they're concerned because they don't want to be invaded by these kingdoms. They also uh, don't want those kingdoms to fall because then they'll be next in line. And what Isaiah is basically doing is saying, don't be afraid. Trust God. Do the right thing. And it'll be okay in the end. There's tough times coming, but it's going to be okay if you will just trust me. Now, this is kind of distant and kind of uh, unrelatable in some respects. We're not kings in ancient kingdoms. But all of us have been in situations where we don't have the strength, the power, the resources against an overwhelming force that is arrayed against us, circumstances beyond our control, things that threaten our safety and our security. This was a very uncertain time for Judah. And so it'd be it's very easy to just say, oh, just trust God, everything's going to be okay. But when you've got these kingdoms lined up against you, it's not quite so easy. So thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate your help. Yeah, give them a hand. They did excellently. And Caleb, too. (laughs) All right. So that's the situation that we hear this message of God being with them. For Judah, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, God is with us. It's another thing to trust that when you've got all of these powers ready to pounce on you. So what the prophet Isaiah is telling them is that God is present. So today we're really talking about God's presence and in particular how it relates to this prophecy that we revisit at Christmas. And what, we're, what the prophet Isaiah said and what he was communicating and what God is communicating through that prophecy, what we can hear down through the ages is this. And if you're taking notes, this is the first thing to fill out. The bottom line for today is because God is present, we can be at peace. Now, obviously, not everything in our world is peace in the larger world or in our individual worlds, but it is possible to have peace even when our circumstances are in turmoil. The circumstances did not change for Judah, but Judah was able to have peace if they would just embrace the message of Isaiah that God was with them. So we see this in three aspects of these scriptures that we looked at. And first off, it's just simply that message that God is with us. We can be at peace because God is with us. And the corollary to that is therefore we can receive the message to 
fear not. Fear not is repeated throughout the scriptures in this prophecy and in the New Testament passages that we looked at as well. Fear not. And then lastly, you'll see that despair is always a lie. It was very easy for them to be despairing, but for those for whom God is with them, despair is always a lie. So I'm going to challenge you to pray a prayer, a prayer of trust and obedience. This is the, I think, okay, there we go. Uh, This is the message that Isaiah was trying to communicate to Ahaz and the people of Judah. And it was... Simply trust him, simply obey him, do the right things. And in the end, God is with you. It's all going to be okay. So let's look at it together. This first part is the most intense. uh, And that is that it's this idea of God with us. So let's go through this whole story. So we saw news had come to the royal court of Judah that Syria is allied with Israel. I sometimes call it Aram, as sometimes it's called Syria, allied with Israel against us. They're ganging up against us. They don't want to give us the option of being involved or not involved. They want us in as an ally. So what was the response? It says, so the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. How many of you felt the earthquake the other night? Yeah, that was pretty powerful for 2.7. We had a 3.0 that was right in the town next to us and the whole, the whole house shook. This was several years ago and I couldn't believe that it was that far away and it was only a 2.7 because the whole house just kind of went rumbled through it. And that's what I thought of because I was studying this. It's like, okay, the whole ground is shaking and the people were trembling with fear because of the danger that they were uh, in. But the prophet Isaiah is sent to Ahaz and he's told, basically, it ain't happening. Don't worry about it. This, This thing that you're worried about, it ain't happening. This is the New Living Translation, that was my translation. But this is what the Sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. I don't know about you, but most of the things that I'm tempted to worry about, in the end, nothing like that ever actually happens. 90% of the stuff that I worry about, that I get all worked up about, that I turn over and over and meditate on in my mind, it just doesn't happen. And once you begin to realize that, then it changes the way that you think about that. And so the Lord is giving his word that this is never going to happen. This thing that you're concerned about, it is never going to happen. A prophetic word to the king. Don't even worry about it. It ain't happening. So in order to reinforce this message, that's where this prophecy comes. He says, Get, let me give you a sign. And there's a little bit of back and forth, but the Lord says, okay, I'm going to choose the sign. And this is what it is. There's going to be a, it literally says young woman. And my, my college professor emphasized this a lot. He was a Hebrew professor. And so the word there is not 
exclusively used of a virgin. It means a young woman. Now, in those times, this was a long time ago, it was assumed that if you were a young unmarried woman, that you were a virgin. That was a safe assumption in those times. And so it's just using that word, but it's kind of a different word. It's an unusual word, but it could mean just a young woman, or it could mean a young woman who is a virgin. But he says, this woman is going to have a child. And by the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong. In other words, the age of moral accountability. Now, in the Jewish tradition, what age is that? Does anybody know? 13, right. It's the time of the bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah. So that is saying, look, there's going to be a child born And before that child is 13 years old, those kingdoms that you're worried about, they aren't even going to be around anymore. That was the original context of that prophecy. Can I tell you what happened? By the time 13 years had passed, past that prophecy, those kingdoms had been conquered. They were no more. The threat was gone. God chose a sign and gave it to them, and then he fulfilled his word. Now, interesting thing about this is that the immediate danger had passed, but I don't know if you caught this, but the last passage, the last verse in that passage was not exactly encouraging because it said those two kingdoms that you're worried about, that they're nothing to worry about. They're not going to last, but that other kingdom is still coming, and it's going to be, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the theme of God with them begins to develop from that. And you see in the next chapter, this verse, and there are two aspects to it. I'm going to emphasize one. I'll come back to the other one later. It, this kingdom, will spread its wings, submerging your land from one end to the other, O Emmanuel. In this passage, the prophet is using the illustration of a flood. It's like this kingdom is going to sweep down like a flood and just wipe everything out. Anybody remember seeing pictures of the 2004 tsunami? It's just everything was just washed away. He said that's what it's going to be like as well. But notice there that it says, oh, Emmanuel. So this idea of a child that signifies that God is with them is now being addressed as the owner of the land. This child, this God with us child is the owner of the land. And then the theme is developed again in chapter nine, where it says the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, that's where Jonathan was. This was the northern kingdom of Israel. This is the land of Galilee. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, it was called Galilee of the Gentiles because it was a melting pot, will be filled with glory. In other words, there's gonna be dark times as this flood comes through, wipes everything away, And that land is going to be humbled. It's going to be a dark, difficult time. But that's not the end of the story. There's going to be a time where that land that is desolate and dark is going to be filled with God's glory. And glory is often, as we've talked about before, a way of talking about God's presence. That it looks like God is nowhere to be found, It's dark, it's desolate, 
but there's going to be a time where God's presence is going to show up in this land, almost like God is with us. It'll be filled with glory. And then it goes on to say, well, how is this going to happen? For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. So you can see how this is, at this time of the year, we talk about it. Oh, okay, prophecy. There's going to be a virgin birth, God with us. Oh, fulfilled in the New Testament, in Jesus, in Mary. Do you see how rich and deep this is? It's so much more than that. It's you're, you think that you're all alone. You think you don't have the resources. You think that you're going to be wiped away. And the things that you're worried about, you don't have to be worried about. And the things that you're not worried about are the things that are coming your way. And it's going to be a dark, desperate time. But that's not the end of the story. Just because that's happening doesn't mean that God isn't with you. He is present. He is watching over you. He is directing the course of history. And even though there are dark times right now, he hasn't forgotten you. He is with you. And this Emmanuel child is more than just a simple sign and fulfillment. It is a rich theme that tells you the whole story, that God is going to come and make his presence known. He is going to be with you, and he is going to deliver you. So it's no doubt that when the New Testament authors experienced and heard the stories from Mary about what had happened, that they would have gone back and thought, wow, this is, this is the fulfillment of that, not just because, just because a virgin gave birth, but because God's plan was unfolding before our very eyes. And so when he, Matthew wrote in chapter one of his gospel, the virgin will conceive a child, quoting Isaiah, she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was saying, you know that story? all the way back in those first couple of chapters in the early part of Isaiah, that's what's coming our way. That's what we get to experience. Because God is present, peace is on its way. Safety, security, salvation is coming. So let me go quickly through the next part. And not only is it God with us, but there's the message of fear not. You see this in the Isaiah passage where Isaiah, I love this. It's like, tell him to stop worrying, right? We, we talked about that last week, right? Stop worrying, done, fixed it, pray, go home, okay? No, uh, tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers. He's saying, they're on the way out. You don't have to worry about them. You're getting all worked up about something that's not even going to be a problem. Stop worrying and trust me. The things that you're worried about aren't even going to happen. And then think of it on the flip side as well, because sometimes we worry about things, bad things happening to us. Sometimes we're scared by what God is doing and calling us to as well. You'll notice that when the angel appears to Mary and tells her this incredible news, one of the first things that he says is, do not be afraid, Mary. That's why if, if an angel ever shows up, most likely you're going to be scared. You're going to be trembling. You're going to be shaking like we were talking about. 
It says, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. There's something good coming your way. Sometimes we fear things that, we're, uh, that we don't want to happen. Sometimes God calls us to something and we have to overcome that fear as well. In both of those cases, the message of the Lord to you is this fear not because God's presence is available to you, because he is with you, you can be at peace. God is with you. He's watching over you. You don't have to be afraid. The things that you're concerned about probably aren't going to happen. The thing that he's calling you to, he will make a way for you to walk in his ways. And then lastly, despair is always a lie. Um, Look at what it it's talking about that I said I would come back to this verse eight and I emphasize that it was the land of Emmanuel, but I explained to you what it was. The, the, this, this new rising superpower is going to sweep down and wipe you away. Now, that would be kind of a despairing message, I would think. It's like, I was concerned about those two kingdoms. Now you're saying I don't have to worry about them, but something worse is coming. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But in the midst of that, he says, but God is with you. Despair is always a lie. You don't know because the end of the story hasn't been written with. And because God is with you, because he is sovereignly directing the course of history, because he has invited you into his family and into his kingdom, you can have hope as well. And that's where I'm going to circle all the way back around to that last couple of verses of Philippians chapter 4. Dustin, can you help me out? It's not working. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. This is just his concluding remarks to the people. And he says, all the rest of God's people send you greetings to, especially those in Caesar's household. Now, for those of you that have been around, you remember that Paul is writing while he's imprisoned. He's under house arrest in Rome, most likely. And he's talking about Caesar's household. Now, that doesn't mean his Caesar's family. It doesn't mean just the people who live there. It's kind of the way that we talk about the White House or talk about the Kremlin. We're talking about the seat of government. To talk about Caesar's household was talking about the seat of government. And so he's saying, look, I'm imprisoned. This government is about to put me to death because of my faith. But remember how the letter started? Don't, don't worry about me. It, what, what, what was intended to, to tamp down on and to close off and to, 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 to stifle the gospel has actually served to spread it. And now even all the people in who are guarding me, these Roman soldiers know why I'm here and we're telling them the gospel. In fact, not just me, but other people are becoming more and more bold and sharing the gospel in all these ways. And so when he closes the letter, he's saying, look, it's not just me writing you. There are people in the seat of government that are a part of your family now. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. And as all of this was coming together, and I was sometimes try to do my life journaling devotions around what I'm preaching on, and this is what I wrote, and I think it'll tie it all together, and this is how I will end. So the scripture, remember it's SOAP, S-O-A-P, scripture, S. The Lord himself will give you a sign 
Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Observation. Because Aram or Syria and Israel were threatening Jerusalem, Ahaz and his people trembled like the trees of a forest shaking in the wind. So the Lord sends Isaiah to Ahaz with a message of reassurance. These kings and kingdoms are nothing but smoldering wicks, last gasps about to be extinguished. Now when this prophetic word from Isaiah was read in light of Jesus, we see the authors of the New Testament reflecting upon it, Rome was at the height of its power. But in decades, when Philippians was written, just a couple of decades later, the message of Jesus would be spreading in Caesar's household in the seat of government. In a couple of centuries, Christian faith would be embraced by the empire. And in a couple of millennia, the ancient kingdom of Rome would be ancient history and Christian faith will have circled the globe. What seems, this is the application, what seems insurmountable? It's not. What seems to you an existential threat? Is it really? What would you do if, God ex- if you accepted that God is saying, it ain't happening. Don't even worry about it. Verse 9 from Isaiah chapter 7. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. In other words, if your faith is crumbling, no wall you build will escape that same fate. Lord, help us to see that. Would you pray? Here's the application for today, and that is to pray a prayer of trust and obedience. Some of us have a inclination to to want to do something, an inclination to act, that's great. But sometimes we just need to stand still and let you do your work, Lord, to not just do something, but stand there. So Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to just express our faith and obedience in whatever way that, whatever that looks like. For some, it'll be stopping frenetic action rooted in fear. For others, it will be taking a step of obedience that we've been afraid to take. But whatever the case may be, Lord, would you convict and convince us that for everyone who says yes to Jesus, your presence is constantly with us. Your power is watching over us. Your Holy Spirit is directing us. Because God is with us, we can say, fear not. And no matter how dark the night is, despair will always be a lie. Lord, help us to know how to apply it. Give us the strength to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Before we go, one last thing to do. On Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle to remind us that this countdown that we have been waiting for has finally, the day has finally arrived. God has fulfilled his promise and Christ is with us. 
Go in peace and have a very Merry Christmas.